Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Morning, church. Wasn't that a great uh, praise and worship time? You know, if any, uh, I, I was uh, standing there and said, man, we can go home after this. But then I realized I'm preaching, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, so we we, we got to stay for uh, pro- uh um, I'm saying 30 minutes, probably a little shorter. Amen. <laughs> but that was good. Those are the things that we're really looking forward to. I mean, what's the, what really is the point when we come together? That when God moves, that's it, man. We stay there. We, we if we can stay there as long as we can. But we had a little bit of program called uh, the preaching, so we'll go ahead and do this. Amen. So um, if you're here with us for the past couple of weeks, then you would know that we are on a series called Redefined, okay? And today we're going to jump right in. Let's just go ahead and jump into week number five. So week number five, and it's going to be talking about this, woo, adultery and lust. Pretty quiet after that. Okay, let's just go ahead. Go ahead. Matthew chapter five, (laughs) verse 27 to 32. I purposely asked my, uh, uh, the, um, uh, I have somebody to make me my slide, to make it as big as possible so that uh, everybody can see it. Plus, sometimes I also have a hard time reading it. So let's go ahead and read chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 27 to 32. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30, it says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish that then for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let's just... Uh, just if you would allow me, let's just pray one more time. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for this word. And Father, I just pray that as we already met with you, that you would uh, already prepare our hearts to receive from you. That, that your word says that perfect love casts out fear. So Father, that's what I pray today. That we would see you in your perfect love. That we would not come or we would not fear you, but instead we would know how to run to you. Because there is a perfect love in you. Amen? Amen. So this is week number five of our series. And, it, and as we have read, you kind of know what it's going to be about. So just to get it clear, what is adultery? Okay, what is adultery? Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary defines adultery as this. It is a voluntary sexual intercourse between a married man and someone other than his wife, or between a married woman and someone other than her husband. That's what the dictionary defines adultery. That's what it it is defined. It is defined as the act 
of sexual intercourse. That's when adultery happened. When the act happened, when the acts or when when the act happened, that's when adultery happened. And for other definition, it is also called infidelity or unfaithfulness or how the world would just say it to cover up the stigma of it is an affair. Isn't it? That's what, that is what we usually hear nowadays, an affair. But the Bible calls it adultery. But yet the world defines it as this. But how did Jesus define it? Jesus uh, interpreted as this. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the way Jesus gave the interpretation is not, it, it does not begin in the act, but it begins even before that. It begins where? In the heart. He says that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her. It didn't just say whoever looks at a woman. If whoever looks at a woman, if, if he stopped there, then uh, woe to us. What can we do? Okay? But he says, whoever looks at the woman to lust for her. Okay? There's the word, to lust for her. Looking to lust for her. That's a difference by simply looking to admire the beauty of a person versus looking at a woman to lust for her. And to lust for her, for a lack of a better word, I've used this before, it's like marinating. Basically, when you marinate meat, what do you do? You soak it. And that's what to lust, um, for, like what I said, for a lack of a better word, that's what you do when you lust. You kind of make, you play around with the thought. You begin to, uh, it's really a strong desire to possess the person. That's what the lust means. So that's how Jesus defines it. He defines it that it is not in the act of the intercourse that adultery happens. But he said, it is when you start to look and then you lust for that woman. That's when adultery happens in your heart. And, and that's how God sees it. See, man sees it as an, uh, as an outer act. But in 1 Samuel, it says that God does not see how man sees. Man always sees the outer appearances, but God sees in the heart. God would always see in the heart. Amen? And that's, what, that's why Jesus defines it as it's a, it, it begins in the heart. Amen? It's okay. We can keep quiet. It's all right. <laughs> so why is it that Jesus even said that it is better for you to cut your arm or to pluck out your eye? That the, he considers it so, so bad that he even hyperbolically say that to cut your arm, uh, uh, pluck out your eye, just so that you will not commit adultery. That's how bad he treated it, that he exaggerated that. I don't, I don't believe that he literally means to cut your arm or dismember your, dismember your body. But the fact that he used those words means it is a serious matter. Amen? Since they already, uh, since they already uh, put up the question, so why does God detest it that he would use exaggeration to say it is better for you to come to heaven with a, bro- with a, a single arm or single eye than for you to commit adultery? For those of you who are parents, what is the first, uh, what, when you tell your kids not to do something, what is uh, one question that they will ask you? Why? <laughs> I think my, my inner child came back because that's exactly the question I was asking God. Why? Why is it, God, that you said don't commit it? (laughs) 
Are you like me? Do you think that way? Do you question the thing that God says? And it's okay. We can always question the, uh, the things that God say and, uh, and, uh, and hope to get an answer. So today I want to uh, uh, present this question to you. Why does God detest adultery so bad that he said it is better for you to go into heaven with, uh, with a dismembered body? So this is, uh, so this is our, uh, I want to take some time to really explore this question. Verse Matthew chapter 19, verse 46, this is Jesus again. By the way, the, the gospel of Matthew, as I read, it says it began by, you have heard from, or you have heard it said uh, uh, from the past. That, that is a phrase that you would find in Matthew because Matthew, the gospel of Matthew was written by a Jew. It was written by Matthew who is a Jew it was written for the Jews to read it, and it was written about a Jew who is Jesus. And that's why in the language it, it, it uses, it's so common for them to refer to Moses, and it's so common for, for Matthew to refer, have you not heard in the past? Because they did. They really heard it in the past. For some of us who didn't grow up in church, it might be the first time you actually hear, do not commit adultery. If you, if you have no background of the Ten Commandments, you're probably freaking out, hey, I didn't hear that before. Why, am I, why are you telling me that I heard that before? Okay, just to clear that up. Because here it is again. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 to 6. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Have you not heard? Have you not read? Okay, if, not, if you have not read, it's found in Genesis. Okay? And said, For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not men separate. Adultery is in the context of marriage. All right? So here we see, it says, from the beginning, or he made them at the beginning, made them male and female. And he said, for this reason... They are joined together, and what God has joined, nobody should separate. That's a warning that Jesus said. If you are joined together in marriage, nobody should separate you. That's what it's saying. Nobody. Uh, further down these verses, the Pharisees asked, Then why did Moses give us a certificate of divorce? Then Jesus said, It is because of, your heart, because of the hardness of your heart. It was because of the hardness of man's heart that God allowed it. But in the beginning, it was never so. That's what Jesus said. So let's go back in the beginning. Uh, I enjoyed the, it was kind of a labor intensive for me to get the insight from this, but I enjoyed it. So let's go back in the beginning. In the beginning, if you are taking notes and if you want to find where, where Jesus was referring to, this is found in Genesis chapter 2. I uh, believe it's from 14 to 18. So in the beginning, uh, this is really familiar for most of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. Is it not? And as he created them, what did he say? It is good. He created the heavens and the earth, and he said, it is good. Created the earth, uh, the oceans, everything. What did he say? It is good. He created man, and he said, it is very good, yes. <laughs> he created man and he said, it is very good. The creation of man was good, okay? But then God said, but it is not good for a man to be alone, okay? 
the creation of man is good. We were created very good. But what God saw that was not good was that it is not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will make him a partner or a helper comparable to him. So it's not the creation of man that was not good. All right? It is that man is alone and he had no companion that God saw that was not good. All right? Okay. So what did, what did God do? He made Adam fall asleep, pulled out the rib from his side, turned that rib into a, a woman. Adam wakes up. The best thing that happened in man's life is really when you go to sleep and you wake up. That's a principle there. Anyway, he wakes up, and then uh, Eve is there, and he goes, This is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. I shall call you woman. All right? That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what Adam said. Now I should call you woman. So woman. But really in the context, that's where Jesus was saying. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God did was... What God saw as not good, he made a way to make it good. I don't want to say he fixed the problem because I don't believe God makes mistakes. But what God did is he made a good out of something that he saw that was not good. Do you hear me? He made good of something that he saw that was not good about men. And it was the woman, but really it was about marriage. Did you hear me, church? He called that man being alone, having no companion is not good. Therefore, he made good out of something that he saw that was not good on man. And then he created marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is God's design so that we can also receive something good. Do you agree with me? And I believe that's why in Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains, obtains favor from the Lord. And all the wives say? Well, that was weak. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Because God made marriage to be a good thing from out of what he saw that was not good in man. Marriage is a good thing. And he also, uh, he also uh, made it a covenant that what I have put together, nobody should separate. The companion that God made for man is supposed to be a permanent companion. That's what the word says, okay? Don't, uh, don't take it on me. So, so why does God hate adultery? Well, that's your first clue because the marriage that God created was a good thing. It, um, and, and some had said it is really a gift from God for mankind. Marriage is a good thing. All right? Don't listen to somebody and say that marriage is a ball and chain. No, it is not. <laughs> marriage is not a ball and chain. Okay? According to the word of God, it is a good thing. Amen? So why does God hate adultery? Because, in, because marriage is a good thing. So here we go. In the book of Malachi, chapter 2. I, I didn't have all the time to put up the scripture, so I hope you, if you, if you want to search it out, just uh, uh, keep notes. Malachi chapter 2. <laughs> Read the whole chapter. <laughs> in Malachi chapter 2, this is where you find the praise or the, the verse that says God hates divorce. But before that, it talks about unfaithfulness. It 
talks about adultery. In the New King James Version, the language that was used was this. It says, he, he, uh, committing adultery is dealing with your wife treacherously. That is a heavy word, treacherously. I had to look it up in the dictionary to really get a, to get a feel of what it is. It's a betrayal of confidence. It says that unfaithfulness or committing adultery is dealing with your wife treacherously. Dealing with your wife treacherously. So if we put this all together, what does adultery do? Adultery is dealing treacherously. It is betraying the good thing that God has made. And that is why I believe that God hates adultery because we are treating something that is good treacherously. We are betraying something that God has given us that is good and we're, uh, and we're just treating it that way. In the book of Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20, uh, it says that, woe to, woe to you if you call evil good and good evil. Woe to you if you take darkness and call it light. I'm just paraphrasing it and call light as darkness. Woe to you if you call what is bitter sweet and sweet sweet bitter. God said, woe to you. Woe is really not, it's almost not, uh, it's, it's really distress. It's wretchedness. It's trouble. It really is about cursing. And that's what the, the word in Isaiah says, woe to you if you call something that is good to be evil and something that is evil to be good. Or what is darkness, you turn it into light and what is light into darkness. That's what it says in Isaiah. And that's, so what do you think, how do you think God feels when we take something that is good and we treat it like it's bad and we treat it badly? And church, that, that is why I believe that that's why God hates divorce because that's what we are doing to something that he has given to us to be good. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Marriage is a good thing. Going back to that verse, chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20, I, I believe this is a word. If you're single, I know we're talking about uh, in the context of marriage. If you're a single, if you're a single man... Based on Proverbs chapter 18, 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen? So if you're a single man, when you find your wife, you now have a responsibility to treat that good thing. To protect that good thing. To, to deal rightly with that good thing. Because God calls it a good thing. Therefore, if you're going to get married, and you will find that wife, and you will find that good thing, then you have a responsibility to protect that good thing. Adultery and divorce, as, as, as it was written in uh, Malachi, it says when you divorce or when you commit adultery, divorce is doing violence to the wife of your covenant. That's what it says in Malachi. Again, that's not me. That's the Bible, okay? So if you, and then if you're a single woman, yes, follow Beyonce, put a ring on it, okay? Tell the guy, put a ring on it. I cannot dance like Justin uh, Timberlake, so let's not. Uh, that's a desecration, by the way. <laughs> but yes, you are a good thing. God calls you a good thing. As a, you, are, you are a good thing that God, that God is waiting for. You should look for the man that would treat you to protect you and all of that because it is a good thing. Marriage is something that God's, is a God plan and a God idea, and he called it good. He made it out of something that he saw that was not good, therefore it is good. Amen? 
The second reason why I believe God hates divorce is because of the very uh, definition that Jesus uh, said, which uh, I kind of talked already. Jesus said, it's when you look at a woman to lust for her, that is when you commit adultery. To lust, as I said earlier, is to really to have a strong passion to possess, a strong passion to dominate. And in the context of what we're talking about, so it's really having a strong passion to, do- to dominate a woman, to dominate uh, a person. Lust really removes the personhood of a person, or it really takes the, human, the humanity of a person and turns that person into an object. Lust is a direct contrary to the attribute of God. Go ahead and... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7. This is very familiar for most of us. If you got married and you use this, good for you. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. This is what we we're so familiar with as the love chapter. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It does, it does not pop up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Love always look out for the best of the other person. It always look out for the best of the other person. In the context of marriage, if you, re, if you enter the marriage covenant with love, then you also going to work, uh, bears all things, believe all things, hope all things. She will endure all things to make that marriage work. And that's why uh, I believe that's why God said it is permanent. Permanent does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not rejoice in evil. It does not keep records of wrong. That's what love is. Love, and then John tells us that God is love. Love is the very nature of who God is. And lust is really the, the complete opposite of what love is. Jesus says it. And that's, that, I believe, is the second reason why God hates adultery so bad. I am not even talking about the effects that happens. Adultery always involves two parties. So you, you're, you're wrecking not just your own self. You, you have a tendency to wreck entire uh, uh, two families. That's what, it, that's what it is. Amen? Let's move on to the last thing. So if Jesus said, it is better for you to be dismembered or to be with one eye, like, a, like Jack Sparrow, a pirate, then it is really serious. Then we should also take approach so that we do not fall into it. Would you agree? We should also be on our guard so that we, we might not stumble on it. Uh, I don't know if you really stumble in it. Hopefully not, right? So what should our approach be then towards adultery? Well, first one I believe is humility. We should always have humility. In the, in the book of James and in the book, in the book of Peter, it says that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. He gives favor to the humble. He favors those who are humble. Humility is always a good stand with anything. Whether it's your relationship, in your business, anything. You should always be humble. Amen. We should always know and we should always recognize that we, every individual, we're all vulnerable to committing this act. Amen. I mean, we look at we look at the Old Testament. We look at look at Samson. Samson, Samson was endowed with the, with strength whenever the Spirit of God would come on him. 
But what was his failure? He lusted over the women that God said, do not marry. And it cost him his life. But yet he did mighty exploits for God. He was used by God, but his failure was, the, was that, lust. But he was so strong. He was full of strength. David was another man. David, God himself testified about David. Here is a man. Here is a king after my own heart. But what was his failure? The same thing, adultery. And of course, it led on to murder. So it's not, not just because we're strong, we can say, oh, I can deal with it. Not because, oh, I'm being used by God and God, God is uh, so anointed me. Oh, I can, I can walk uh, out of this. Solomon, his son. What, which is so interesting because Solomon took nine chapters in Proverbs, first nine chapters in Proverbs, to warn us about adultery, wisdom and adultery. He took nine chapters, but yet, what was his failure? He had a thousand mother-in-laws. <laughs> Just to lighten up the mood, okay? That was his failure. He married more than a thousand, men, um, a thousand women, so he had more than a thousand mother-in-laws. I mean, I don't know about you. If you can deal with one, you're good, right? But can you imagine dealing with more than a thousand? Probably that's why he really had that wisdom. <laughs> but regardless, okay? But regardless, the point is, even as smart and as full of wisdom Solomon was, he's still considered the wisest person that ever lived. What was his failure? Lust, adultery. Lust, really. So it's not because we're strong. It's not because God has put an anointing on us. not because we're full of wisdom. We, we can say, oh, I can do it. I can handle it. No, let's take humility and say, Lord, I can, be a sm- uh, I can stumble in this the same way. And then the same way as this man of the Bible have. Then also, in, in regards to humility, let's also don't look down on people who has also failed in this realm. Where does it, where does it say that? It says that uh, do not be conceited. Because you can also fall in the same temptation. So let's not look down on people who has failed in this realm. Because we can easily, as I said, easily. Let's always take humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives favor to the humble. The, one of the properties of water is that it always finds the lowest point. If you guys, uh, in your science, the, the, uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. It just popped in. One of the, uh, the properties of water is that it increases volume during freezing. Oh, there's Mr. Sanjay. He's our chemistry. Is that correct, Sanjay? The volume of water increases during freezing. That's why when you put your Coke can in your freezer, it will, will pop because the volume increases. So also, one of the properties of water is it would always find the lowest point. And that's why it is used in the, in the, in the construction industry as a leveling tool. That property is also the same with how we take on humility. Favor always looks for the lowest. So take humility. The favor of God. God always looks for the, those who are humble, who always, makes them, uh, who always takes on humility. How Jesus, who was a God, went all the way down to be a servant. And, and God said, ah, now I exalt you to be the, the name above all name and to be the king of all kings because he has taken the lowest form. So humility is always good for us. Next approach that we should take is Jesus is first. What do I mean by this? In the story of John, in one of the story in John, it talks about a woman that 
Jesus met a Samaritan woman who met at the well. And the Bible was, it was so good that because the, the language of the Bible says that Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Jesus made an effort to meet her. Jesus took the appointment to meet this woman. And they met at the well at 12 o'clock at noon. And she, as she was uh, drawing water from the well. And Jesus, the conversation goes, can you get me some water? And the Samaritan woman said, why do you ask me for water? For I am a Samaritan and you are a Jew. And of course, the conversation and the main point that I want to get is that the woman, when Jesus said, go call your husband, the woman said, well, I do not have a husband. Jesus said, well, you are right. You are correct. For you had five husbands, and the man that you're staying with right now is not your husband. Church, as great as your spouse is, your spouse might look like Superman. He might act like Superman, or your wife might be like Wonder Woman. But our spouses does not meet all our needs. Amen? Don't put that pressure on them. Our spouse will never meet all our needs. That's why you got to put, and that's what Jesus was saying. Uh, Pastor Terry said that earlier. Jesus said, I am that living water. He who drinks me said, will never thirst again. And out of him will flow out uh, rivers of living water. Don't put the responsibility of Jesus on your spouse. Yes, my wife looks like Wonder Woman. Or your husband looks like Superman. But they don't have all the answers to your need. But there is one, and his name is Jesus. So make Jesus first in your marriage. Amen? Amen. The next approach that we should take is this. No condemnation. Another story. All this is a story of adultery. Okay? And th this one is the one, one that is so beautiful. When the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. From based on what we have just learned, adultery is a two-party. But yet, they only brought the women. So how can that be adultery who was caught in the very act when they only brought one person? And some have said because the, because the guy was a Pharisee also. That's why they didn't bring him. That's what uh, some have said. Okay? But she was brought before Jesus, and they asked Jesus, Jesus, what should we do with her? Moses commanded us to stone her. And yes, it's, uh, it says in Deuteronomy, it says the two persons should be stoned. The man and the woman should be stoned. It was correct. So what do you say? And Jesus said, okay. He said, he who do not have a sin, let him cast the first stone. And it says, beginning from the oldest all the way down to the youngest, they all left. Until it was only Jesus who was left. And then Jesus asked the woman, where are they that condemn you? And the woman said, No one, Lord. There's no one to condemn me. It, technically, there was one that could have condemned her. See, the Pharisees wanted to. They wanted to stone her. They wanted to condemn her. But they couldn't. They had no power to do it. Jesus, on the other hand, had all the power to condemn her. But he would not. And what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you have failed in this area, I hope that you've heard that. You've read through that. That Though, as I said in the beginning, it's God takes adultery so seriously that he said, cut your hand, plucked out your eye. But here, he is presented with a woman that is caught in the very act. And that yet he say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In church, only to Christ... Can we have that? 
that we can have no guilt of the mistakes that we had, no guilt of the sins that we have committed because he has taken it upon his body and at the cross it was judged. Amen? That's why he can, he, only in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, those who are in Christ, there is no more no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is only possible to the cross. And then lastly, water into wine. You want to see a miracle? No. I'm just going to drink. <laughs> I just want to drink, okay? Water into wine. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? He turned water into wine. Where did it happen? At the wedding in Cana. And there is a lot of perspective that can be pulled out from that, uh, from that miracle. Here is one that I want uh, to share with you. Marriage is a good thing, but because we are flawed, sometimes, it's, sometimes it doesn't feel like a good thing. Okay, Honestly, right? If we can all be honest, God made it a good thing, but because we're flawed humans, sometimes it doesn't feel like a good thing. The business of life, you get children, you got work, you have all this, and you begin to lose that romance, you begin to lose that fire, you begin to lose that excitement that you had when you were first dating where you couldn't hang up the phone and you keep saying, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I have to work. Can you please hang up now? After a few years of marriage, your phone call is so simple. Hey, honey, I'm late for work. Okay, bye. <laughs> See, after a few years of marriage, but not in life in the sun, amen? <laughs> but not here, right? But if you have, and if you're beginning to feel that the marriage has, has be, begun to be boring and has become bland as water. Very interesting that the first miracle happened at the wedding and Jesus turned what was bland into something intoxicating. A wine. And I'm serious, church. We can, if, that's, if you're feeling that your marriage has turned that way, you can always come to God and say, Lord turn this marriage again and make it intoxicating as it was before. When I couldn't hang up the phone, when I couldn't leave to go to work, church is possible. It tells us in Hebrew that God knows everything about us. He has, gone through the, he has gone through every emotion that we could have gone through. He knows the very thing that we go through. And if God has put marriage to be a good thing, I believe he would do it. I believe he can turn that bland. He can turn that water into wine that is something intoxicating again. Amen? Amen. Water into wine. And I just want to end with that. Let's go ahead and close our eyes. And uh, I just want to pray. Thank you, Father. Are you blessed, church? Do you believe that marriage is a good thing? Yes. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Thank you that you said in your word that every good and perfect gift
comes from you, comes from the Father of light. Hallelujah. And Father, may we just learn, Father, how to treat marriage as a good thing, as you have intended it to be. And Father, and if you're here today and you're going through uh, tough times with your marriage, the last point I made is that you can always come to God and really turn that marriage God can help us turn these marriages. If we follow the way God says it, it is a permanent companionship. And it is a good thing. It is an exciting thing. And I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just receive it. Father, thank you. Thank you that a marriage is a covenant. That the end of a covenant is death. And Father, I just pray for our congregation. I just pray, Father, that those who are struggling in their marriage, those who are having difficulties in their marriage, those who have seen it go bland and tasteless and boring, Father, I pray that you would make it intoxicating again. Father, turn it around, Father. Only you can do it. It's not by power you have shown it to us. It's not by might, but you can, Father. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I speak to those marriages. I speak to those marriages. Light of the fire that was there in the beginning. Light of the fire. Let it be intoxicating as it was. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I pray for those now, Lord, who has failed in this side of uh, who has failed in this area. And that's you. Just receive this. If you, have, if you are one that has failed in this area, you have uh, committed, you have dealt with your wife treacherously, you have dealt with your husband treacherously, I want to just to, to receive that in Christ there is no condemnation. Father, I pray, Father, for those that are in that category and I pray Father Lord they would realize and they would see you just how we began or how we ended our worship time and and I'm taking a cue that if that was if you were here earlier you have already done business with God you already have run to him and if you have then let me reassure you God has said it there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if God has already dealt with you and I believe God has already dealt with some of us here so I'll just second that and I will allow God to continue to do that work and to just to love on you and say neither do I condemn you my son neither do I condemn you my daughter now go and sin no more Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we can always run to you. That you are our first relationship. And Lord, I pray now that, Lord, show us how to do that. Show us how to embrace you as our first relationship. And Father, we just even release our spouse. We release our husband. We release our wife for putting that burden on them, for putting that responsibility on them of meeting our every need. I see that being cut off right now. Lord, cut it off in the name of Jesus. 
Lord, remove that, Father. Remove that responsibility that we have placed upon our spouses. Remove that. Um, remove it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, may you always be our first relationship. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just take a few more moments. I feel like the that ministry is not over yet. What we began or what happened in the after the worship, I believe God is still ministering to some people. Just take a few more seconds. Father, thank you. For those who are single, Father, thank you that they are precious in your sight, that they are complete. You have made them complete. Let them find you, Father. Let them be lost in you, Lord. Father, thank you that those that will be put together, that you would put together. Thank you, those that, those that you are even preparing to be put together, Lord. 